Welcome to the Creative Pen Podcast. I'm Joanna Penn, thriller author and creative entrepreneur, bringing you interviews, inspiration and information on writing, publishing options and marketing ideas for your book. You can find the episode show notes, your free author blueprint and lots more information at thecreativepen.com and that's pen with a double n. And here's the show. Hello creatives, I'm Joanna Penn and this is episode 600. Yes, we're here. (laughs) It's very exciting. 600 of the podcast and it is Friday the 28th of January 2022 as I record this. So I'm doing a solo show today, skipping the usual segments and I'll be answering some questions that I've kind of collated and put together from my recent podcast surveys. So I'll be covering how do you balance the artist side with the pragmatic business side? How do you improve your writing craft as a beginner and also as a later stage writer? What services and tools do you use right now for writing and publishing? What are you doing for marketing fiction and non-fiction right now and how has that changed over time? One on mindset, it feels like an impossible job to stand out in such a crowded marketplace with millions of other books and entertainment options. How do you deal with the mindset of feeling like it's all pointless? (laughs) And finally, what are the different streams of income that you have right now and how would you like to change that over the next few years? So that is coming up. But first of all, a little roundup on how far this show has come since I started it. From episode one to episode 600. So I recorded episode one in March 2009 when I lived in Ipswich, just outside Brisbane, Australia. I phoned up a best-selling author on a landline. (laughs) Back in those days, we haven't had a landline for years now. I put it on speakerphone and held an MP3 recorder next to the phone. At least there were MP3s at that point. At the time, I worked as an IT consultant specialising in accounts payable within an SAP implementation, SAP is a software package, for an international mining company. I had a couple of non-fiction books out and a few people on my email list, and I mean a few, (laughs) like less than 50. The international Kindle hadn't yet launched, print-on-demand was only just emerging as a viable option, there were no digital audiobooks, there were downloadable MP3s, but not anything on the phone like we have now with apps and there was certainly no empowered indie author movement as we have it today. Back then self-publishing was mainly done by professional speakers and business people who had their own distribution channels and that's actually how I learned about it. I started with a professional speaking association and uh, discovered that these authors printed their books and sold them at the back of the room. Uh, Otherwise, that kind of printing, self-publishing, was considered vanity press and certainly not a viable business option for an author. 2009 really was before the dawn of the creator economy, which just shows you how things change over time. In 2009, I had pretty much no author friends. (laughs) And I didn't really know what I was doing, but I saw podcasting as a way to connect with writers and somehow maybe possibly market my books. I had a one page business plan on my wall for the creative pen with all the different ways I could make money based around my writing. 
I absolutely intended to leave my job and run a profitable business as an author, but I had no idea what lay ahead. I was just enthusiastic to get started. And I should say I do have a bias for action. It's one of my strengths and one of my weaknesses. (laughs) I tend to like, yes, right, well, I'm just going to do it. Uh, Whereas Jonathan will be like, hold your horses. Uh, Let's just maybe assess which direction we should act. (laughs) So I've made many mistakes by having a bias for action. But I've also, I guess, had a lot of opportunity too, because I do get on with things. So I started making some money and left my job a few years later in 2011 to focus on the business. So just to be clear there, uh, 2006 really I started writing, 2011 I left my job. So five years before I left my job. Then I started making six figures in 2015, which is again like a decade-ish after I started writing, and quickly surpassed my old salary with a multi-six-figure annual income, which I've sustained since then. You can read and or listen to some of my historical lessons learned at thecreativepen.com forward slash timeline. Almost 13 years, unbelievable, isn't it? After that original episode, the Creative Pen podcast has now been downloaded over 6.4 million times across 227 countries, with the top countries being US, UK, Australia, Canada and Germany. Most episodes get between 9,000 and 16,000 downloads per episode, varying by the popularity of the topic rather than the author, which I think is really key. You don't have to be a big name author to be a great guest on a podcast. You just have to offer valuable content to the audience of the show. So if you've been hesitating in pitching because you feel like, oh, I'm just not a big enough name, well, uh, you should definitely pitch, not necessarily me, <laughs> although you can pitch me, uh, but the um, the other podcasts you listen to, are there shows that you think, yeah, you know, I, I could offer something really useful to that audience, then just go ahead. And I should say I'll link in lots of links in the show notes, but I obviously as part of the audio for authors book, there's a chapter on how to pitch and how to be a great guest and all that. So this podcast has many functions in my creative business. I still love talking to people, even as an introvert who still gets heart palpitations <laughs> before some interviews. Uh, not with everyone, but I, I definitely still get nervous with some people. I like having conversations about interesting things, which you've seen develop in my Future of Creativity series over the last few years of in between episodes, <laughs> which certainly have a much smaller audience than the mainstream kind of episodes, but still really important to keep me interested at least. (laughs) The podcast connects me with authors in the community and many of my friends in real life are people I met on Twitter, invited on my podcast or met for coffee or something and then eventually met in person. The podcast is also important for my business income. I have consistent corporate sponsors, including Kobo Writing Life, my oldest and longest um, uh, sponsor, Drafter Digital, Ingram Spark, Findaway Voices and Pro Writing Aid, as well as occasional sponsors like Publisher Rocket and Scribe Count, all of which I use personally as part of my author business. I also have 727 wonderful patrons on patreon.com forward slash the creative pen who support the show every month financially and emotionally. (laughs) And many others have bought me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com forward slash the creative pen, which is more like a one off tip kind of thing. 
I also talk about my ongoing writing process and promote my books, both fiction and non-fiction, and I direct you to useful things with affiliate links, which many of you visit. Thank you for using my links. It supports the show. And of course, if you want to know more about how a podcast works from the technical, craft and business angles, check out my book, Audio for Authors, Audiobooks, Podcasting and Voice Technologies. So yes, this podcast is still one of the most important aspects of my creative and business life. I consider it part of my body of work. I enjoy being a curator of news and although I was feeling burned out for a bit as I outlined in my 2021 roundup, I now feel rejuvenated in my mission of empowering authors with the knowledge you need to thrive, especially as we move toward Web3 and what it might mean for creators over the next few years. So yes, my rejuvenation might have a lot to do with uh, getting a lot of sleep, which I'm now getting, which is awesome. (laughs) So let's get into the questions, which, as I said, I've put together uh, from a selection. So none none of the questions is an exact question from one person. They're just kind of put together to represent lots of different stages, parts, I guess, of the writer life. How do you balance the artist, writer, creative side with the pragmatic business and marketing side of being an author? So this is a challenge for every author, and it's a constant balancing act. No matter whether you're indie or traditionally published, there are parts of the author job that involve business and marketing tasks. You cannot do without them if you want to sell books and be a successful creative professional. If self-publishing or you know your book is, is more of a hobby or uh, a labour of love, then of course you don't have to worry about it. But if you do want to sell books and make any kind of money and have a longer term career, you definitely need to grapple with the business and marketing side. Now, I love business. I think it's incredibly creative. Uh, For us, I mean, we turn our ideas into books that actually exist in the world. (laughs) That feeling when you hold your book in your hand and you go, I made this, like you've just turned these electrical impulses in your brain into a product in the world that some people hopefully will read and go, yes, I really got what the author meant there or... (laughs) whatever. But it's still it's still miraculous to me that we turn our ideas into books. And of course, we all love books. So it's just awesome. What, what a great job. And uh, of course, making money with my art means I can make more art. <laughs> so if you don't feel that way about business yet, then you need to change your attitude. If you embrace the business and marketing side, you will be more successful. And of course, that means something different to everyone. But yeah, you have to do this. So obviously, I've got more in how to make a living with your writing and business for authors uh, for more detail on mindset and practicalities. So in terms of the specifics of balancing I essentially still split my day. So weekday mornings or anything up to around 2pm are for creative work, which includes first draft writing, editing, research and idea noodling, recording and editing audiobooks, and also things like this solo show, which is essentially a piece of writing that I'm now narrating or performing because I always write everything out before I record for these solo shows and then of course I go a bit off-piste sometimes. I also write the introduction for every interview show so um, you can probably tell when I'm reading from a a, a script and when I'm going (laughs) off-piste just like then. (laughs) So podcasting for me always originates in the written word. 
So weekday afternoons are for business and marketing tasks, which include podcast interviews, either for my show or appearing on other shows, uh, business meetings, email scheduling and replies, scheduling and managing ads, accounting, tax things, organising things, social media, which actually now is such a tiny, tiny part of my life, barely 15 to 20 minutes a day. I've taken everything except Instagram off my phone and I, I only really use Instagram for photos, my own photos. So I've really got rid of a lot of social media. I think that's helping my sleep. (laughs) The doom scrolling is dead, which is awesome. I usually work at the weekends too, uh, mostly just an hour or so each day to stay on top of email and business things as these are relentless and I I just don't like to leave everything till Monday mornings. Um, I also occasionally record this podcast over the weekend depending on my schedule. I will also go on longer research trips for my fiction and also on business conferences either to speak or to learn and then the usual schedule goes out the window that's for sure. (laughs) I used to have a similar split when I had a day job between 2006 and 2011. I'd get up at 5am and write, so I'd do my creative stuff before going to the job, then I'd go to work and in the evenings I worked on the podcast, blog, social media, lessons, you know, learning the craft and the business and, and everything else. So inevitably it's a bit like a seesaw. We call it a seesaw here in the UK. I think some Americans call it a teeter-totter, which I always just find hilarious. So I, I think that probably changes depending on which part of the US you're in. But but yes, we call it a seesaw in the UK. And if you think, you know, in a children's uh, playground, you have like a long plank thing with a, um, a pivot in the middle and then kids sit on either end and go up and down. And, and, you know, in order to keep it balanced, you have to have similar pressure on each end so if you try if you stand in the middle and try to stay balanced you you kind of shifting your weight one way and the other way it will never stay balanced for very long but the balance involves is when it goes too far in one way you need to shift the other way basically so sometimes I do drop everything and just finish writing or editing a book other times I have multiple days of marketing and business in a row it just depends on the stage of the project and where I am in my financial year and things like that. The good news is that over time you can learn more about your personality. See episode 572 on strengths for writers with Becca Syme and also figure out what works best for you and your books. Plus there are new tools for writers developed all the time that help save time and effort and you can find a list at thecreativepen.com forward slash tools. Plus, as you make more money, you can invest in freelancers to help you. Thank you to Alexandra Amore, my virtual assistant now for many years. We're both introverts, so even though we email sometimes multiple times a day, we've only spoken on Skype a few times, like literally a handful, (laughs) and we've never met in person. Uh, It suits both of us, I think, but maybe one day Alexandra will meet. Thanks also to Jane Dixon-Smith, my cover designer, who knows me so well now. She pretty much nails every cover first time. I have other freelancers for other things, but those two have been with me for years, so I wanted to say thank you publicly. In terms of practicalities, I use Google Calendar to schedule everything, including my writing time. I block out meetings with myself to write and I turn up as I would to any other professional meeting. The reality is that there is never enough time to do everything. You just have to make time for what's important for you and find a way to balance that seesaw. How do you improve your writing craft, both as a beginner and also as a later stage writer? 
This is such a great question and it gets to the heart of why being an author can be a long-term career. Because with every book we write, we learn something new. So if you keep stretching yourself, you can keep learning new skills, which keeps the process fresh and interesting. It doesn't have to be Groundhog Day as an author. You can just keep learning new things and writing new things. And of course, you can only do that if you write more books. So that's the first tip. Don't spend years working on the same book, re-editing over and over again and making endless changes. Sure, you should definitely finish the book and work with a professional editor to make it the best it can be. But then write another one and another and another and you will learn something different every time. The best love writers and the ones making the most money are often the ones who have a huge backlist and many decades of writing behind them. In the indie world, they are definitely the ones with more books. Sure, there are outliers, but generally, if you want to improve your writing craft, then write more, work with professional editors to improve your work, publish and move on to the next book. You also need to read and invest in your education. Yes, you have an excuse to read more. Over the years, I've been to a lot of literary festivals. I've paid for courses on writing craft, both in person and online. And I still go on craft courses, although mainly online these days due to the pandemic. I've read hundreds of writing craft books and still read all the ones that come out. And not all of them, but a lot of them. And many thousands of books that I read for pleasure. Um, probably tens of thousands at this point. I'm, I'm just I love reading. (laughs) It's why I love this job. One of the reasons I love this job. And of course, we all learn from reading books, uh, whether you're just reading for pleasure uh, as a both a fiction and a non-fiction author. You can always pick up things from different books. I read for at least an hour every day uh, in bed before I go to sleep. I normally read fiction. I read with uh, non-fiction, audiobook and in print. And I have a reading slot scheduled in my weekend for more reading (laughs) like it is it's like a four-hour slot on a Sunday afternoon which says reading and I usually read three to five books a week in various formats and I spend a large proportion of my disposable income on books yes I love books and I do think a very good way to improve your craft is by reading If you want to win a literary prize, I recommend volunteering as a preliminary judge if you're part of genre fiction organisations, as you can learn a lot from speed reading and seeing what kinds of books make long lists and short lists of awards. And this counts also for things like short stories and poetry and non-fiction. Buy and read the winners of these prizes and try and figure out and also the shortlisted books, because I feel like a shortlist is very representative of the types of books. And the winner is often just a matter of taste at that point. But yeah, try and get the get the um, shortlist and, and try and figure out what set these apart. The Bram Stoker shortlist, the shortlist just came out the Bram Stokers and I always get that and I get a load of books that's like my one of my shopping lists of the year (laughs) you might also want to use different editors over time especially if you change genres as your writing matures you will find you can move to a different level with some targeted feedback on your work and for fiction check out stages of a fiction writer by Dean Wesley Smith it can be brutal but it seriously helps you target what you need to focus on What services and tools do you use right now for writing and publishing? 
So first up, I have a list of everything, including links to editors and book cover designers at thecreativepen.com forward slash tools. And for publishing, if you um, get the free ebook, Successful Self-Publishing, it's all in there. And I update that over time. But here's a, a brief overview. So I write in Scrivener still. I love it. And I've been using it since book two. So probably since, yeah, like 2009-ish, 2010. Uh, I love Scrivener. Once I have a finished draft... Uh, and I use different flags and things. I print it and hand edit. Then I put those changes back into Scrivener. I then open the Scrivener project in Pro Writing Aid, which seriously is uh, my one of my top tools now. Like I, I wouldn't write without Pro Writing Aid at this point. <laughs> I go through the edits according to the Pro Writing Aid suggestions, of which I only make. I, I say I only make. I make about ninety percent of the changes that Pro Writing Aid suggests. Like uh, a human editor, I never make all the changes suggested. <laughs> so then I print and hand edit once again, and usually I only need two full hand edits. And these are kind of line edit things. I do all the structuring within Scrivener. Uh, sometimes there's a third, but not often. Now, these aren't full drafts. These are never really complete rewrites or anything like that. These are pretty much just line edits. Then I export the file to MS Word. So you can just export out of Scrivener and I import into Vellum where I format the book. Now, this is particularly important for nonfiction as the formatting is so important for how the book flows. So when I send it to an editor, I want the formatting to look good because it it kind of informs the way it's read. Now, of course, Vellum is Mac only. You can use my link, thecreativepen.com forward slash Vellum. But uh, there are lots of other options, including Atticus.io um, from Dave Chesson at Kindlepreneur and other free formatting options available at various other sites. So I have a link. Also, thecreativepen.com forward slash formatting. So I send the MS Word manuscript to my editor and or proofreader, depending on what book it is. I have a different process for each well, each series, it, um, each uh, non-fiction or fiction, uh, and I have different needs now for different projects. I then get the changes back with track changes or something, and I directly type that into Vellum. Then one more time, I run it through ProWritingAid just to check any final issues and then I export for publication. I decide on my categories and keywords with Publisher Rocket. And yes, I have an affiliate link, thecreativepen.com forward slash Rocket. Uh, love Rocket. I uh, use it lots. And I format the HTML with Kindlepreneur's free formatting tool. Again, links in the show notes. I currently publish ebooks direct to Amazon KDP, Kobo Writing Life and Apple Books. And then I use Drafter Digital and Publish Drive for other stores. And I am grandfathered into Publish Drive's previous business model. Uh, it's changed since I started using them. I use KDP Print and Ingram Spark for paperback, hardback and large print editions. I use ACX for Audible and FindAwayVoices.com for all other stores. Although you can use FindAway Voices for Audible as well. I am predominantly wide for my books with just a couple in KU. I also sell direct for ebook and audiobook at payhip.com forward slash the creative pen. And I have a tutorial on selling direct if you want to do that too. In terms of keeping track of links, I use books to which 
even like in the last week has been updated with different kinds of print links. So paperback, large print, hardback, and also pay hip for audio. So I'm really happy about that. And um, Alexandra's just updating all my links. <laughs> so getting all of those updated. It's, it's very handy. So if you're doing any social media or email, you can just use one link and then the, the person clicks and they can choose their favorite store. Now, if you're new to independent publishing, you might be going, oh my goodness, that's an absolute nightmare. (laughs) But actually, I've done, I've published books so many times now, it doesn't take long, just a couple of hours to do everything, really. And once everything's ready, publishing is easy. Writing and marketing are the challenge as ever. And of course, you have to find the tool. The tools will change. So hence, I always date my podcast episodes. And it's kind of good to put this down in writing and on the show because I, I didn't I don't keep track of that from years ago. I wish I'd had that list in like episode 200, for example, because it's definitely changed. So very few of those tools that I now use were available when I started in 2009. I couldn't even publish on Amazon because I wasn't in the US. I went through Smashwords. So yeah, things, (laughs) things have got so much better in terms of the tools and technologies we can use. It makes it so much more possible to be an individual author making a good living, um, with books because every single tool that saves time just makes this more scalable. What are you doing for marketing fiction and non-fiction now and how has that changed over time? So for Joanna Penn and my books for authors, my website gets a lot of traffic based on several thousand articles and podcast episodes posted since 2008. I have my author blueprint, which gets dozens of signups daily, and that's been my call to action since day one. Although, of course, I update the blueprint every few months and I actually just did it uh, a week or so ago. And that's at thecreativepen.com forward slash blueprint. I have this podcast, of course, and that's brought people into the ecosystem for years. And again, the call to action is the blueprint. I have a series of nonfiction books all linked with metadata, and I now pay a freelancer hired through Reedsy to manage my Amazon ads for nonfiction. The books are available in all formats and I narrated most of the audiobooks. I occasionally do Facebook ads, but not often. And again, when I have done it, I have actually hired someone through Reedsy. And if you want to uh, use my link, it's surprisingly thecreativepen.com forward slash Reedsy. For social media, I have Twitter at The Creative Pen, which I started in 2009. And I use Buffer to schedule tweets from my content and other blogs. But social media really is a tiny part of my author life now. It was much, much bigger early on. And that's basically it for nonfiction, except for ads. It's the same as I've been doing for over a decade. It's still content marketing 101. Put useful, interesting, entertaining or inspirational content out for free. Attract people to your ecosystem, especially to your email list. And eventually they might buy something or click a link or something. It still works and it's the foundation of my business. For my thriller, dark fantasy and crime fiction as J.F. Penn, I mostly publish books in series and I've basically just used free first in series or limited deal promotions on first in series over and over for years and years. (laughs) 
Content marketing for fiction is having books or short stories or novellas for free that attract people to your other paid books. And I have a mini course on content marketing for fiction if you want more details at thecreativepen.com forward slash learn. I have my email list at jfpen.com forward slash free. And for social media, I have Instagram and Facebook at jfpenauthor. But as I said, it's mainly for photos and book launch ads. You know, I might put a post up and then boost it or something. But I'm really not a massive social media user anymore. I also have my books and travel podcast and blog, which does attract some readers from my fiction and is getting more and more traffic. I don't just podcast there. I also put up um, sort of blog posts with pictures from my walks and my travels. And mainly I love doing it for inspiration. And at some point, <laughs> at some point, I will publish my travel memoir pilgrimage series. I have two books in draft and potentially another one by the end of 2022. So I, I really need to get going on those. It's always about time, really. <laughs> so it's interesting to consider that even though there are new marketing tactics all the time, the principles remain the same. Write great books, preferably in some kind of series linked in some way. And even if you write standalones, you can still put things in a series. So my books for authors, I mean, they're all standalone. You don't have to read them in order. You don't have to read them all, but they are linked by branding. The cover design is all similar. They're linked by series metadata, books for authors. So even if you write individual nonfiction or fiction, if you can find a theme to link them together, then that's uh, worth doing. So yes, write great books, preferably in some kind of series that appeal to a certain type of reader and you need to understand who that is. Then set up and maintain an email list that you own and control. So regardless of what happens to the publishing companies, you will always be able to sell books. Find a form of ongoing content marketing that you can sustain for the long term. For me, that's podcasting for nonfiction and previously blogging and also using free first in series for fiction and attract readers into your ecosystem this way and into your email list. Then, of course, if you have the time and budget to get into paid ads, find ones that work for you and use those to boost your sales. But this usually works best when you have a decent number of books and usually in a series. So your sustainable marketing might be TikTok videos or press releases for media appearances or live events or Instagram reels or targeted ads or whatever else you can sustain for the long term. And the tactics will keep changing. But the focus is always bringing people into your ecosystem so you can grow and maintain that relationship over time. And time in the market really matters for both book sales, marketing, brand building, community, all of it. One of the reasons this podcast continues to attract and retain an audience is because I've been doing it for so long. <laughs> I've changed the format and the content and the focus as I've changed. And I, of course, I share my personal journey along the way and that changes every week. But time matters. And I know it's so frustrating if you're just starting out, but time flies. <laughs> I mean, we've been in this pandemic for almost two years. <laughs> and in one way, it feels like forever. And in another way, it feels like it's gone really fast. And I feel that's the same for my author career. It's both gone really fast and been super, super slow. That's just how time works, I guess. It feels like an impossible job to stand out in such a crowded marketplace with millions of other books, as well as TV and film, games, music and other entertainment options. 
How do you deal with the mindset of feeling like it's all pointless sometimes? (laughs) And look, I know it's hard and we all have days like that. Definitely, I, I don't know anyone who doesn't have days like that. And if you're starting out, it's really frustrating to hear that you need to build a backlist <laughs> if you want to be successful. I remember hearing it from Dean Wesley Smith and Chris Rush and Bob Mayer, who've all been around publishing for decades. Uh, and I used to get really annoyed with it. The early indie superstars also, like J.A. Comrath, Bella Andre, Barbara Freethy, they came out of traditional publishing with a ton of books that they got the rights back for. So when I started in the indie space in 2008, I had nothing either. I mean, I had like one book um, and I didn't have an email list. I, I didn't have I had nothing. And like all of us, we start with nothing. But also back then, we didn't have the marketing options we have now. So yes, there's more competition now. But there are also so many more opportunities. The global market has grown. So there are more readers every day. The tools we have now save so much time and effort. The marketing possibilities are online and endless. So it it really is much easier to find something that you can sustain and get on with it. Really, it's about changing your attitude. Also, just for intrinsic reasons, I measure my life by what I create and I love writing and creating. So I'm going to do that regardless of how many other millions of other creators there are in the world. And in fact, even if I got the huge movie deal and the big money and never had to work again, I would still write and probably podcast in some form. I also want to reach readers with my fiction and other authors and readers with my nonfiction. So I just keep putting my creations out in the world in different ways and trust that the right people will find them. Attraction marketing is absolutely the heart of what I do. And here we are all these years later (laughs) and it works. It still works. You're listening (laughs) for a start. So create for the joy of creating, then put your work into the world consistently for years and find a way to reach readers that you can maintain consistently for years and things will happen. They might not be what you expect, (laughs) but things will happen. What are the different income streams that you have right now and how would you like that to change over the next few years? So right now I have income from book sales in multiple formats on multiple platforms and multiple languages and also licensing revenue from foreign rights. And I'm always open to licensing deals. Just email me, joanna at thecreativepen.com. <laughs> I also have podcast income from corporate sponsorship and income from patrons at Patreon and buymeacoffee.com. Plus, I also have affiliate income from the tools and services that I recommend, which are always companies I use myself in some way and essentially stake my reputation on, which is why I'm so picky on who I accept as a sponsor. So I also have course sales. Check out my courses at thecreativepen.com forward slash learn. I used to have speaking income, but that is almost zero now as I do some speaking events, but very few. In terms of changing things, I do have a path forward in my head, (laughs) but it will take a few years to execute. I want to make everything evergreen, but that will mean dialing back the income from courses and also from this podcast and any nonfiction that needs new edition and new editions every few years. It means writing more fiction and short stories and evergreen nonfiction and streamlining my backlist so that the reader journey is an easy route through the series and able to be automated with email autoresponders. 
I want to ramp up book sales, obviously, don't we all? (laughs) And I want to increase licensing revenue. And as we move into Web3, I have a lot of ideas for things I want to create and new business models that I think are emerging. Listen to episode 601 coming up this week for more on this. I've also focused on my investments over the last seven years, which I talked about on the Choose FI podcast in their episode 181 and in episode 469 on FIRE for Authors with Brad Barrett. And FIRE is short for Financial Independence Retire Early. Note, I am not a financial advisor or legal advisor. This is not financial or legal advice. I do have a list of recommended money books and podcasts at thecreativepen.com forward slash money books. So the financial independence model has an accumulation phase where you buy assets, essentially, then a distribution phase where you live off the income generated by those assets. The author business model can have the same kind of approach. You create your intellectual property assets, then by licensing them in different ways, you receive income from those assets, hopefully for the term of copyright, 50 to 70 years after the death of the author, depending on jurisdiction. My plan is to keep creating new intellectual property, license it and streamline the marketing more effectively so I can focus more of my time on creation and also spend more time travelling, walking, doing book research trips, having fun with Jonathan and my family, and generally living. (laughs) So I hope to be further in that direction by episode 700, and hopefully by then the pandemic will be over and we can all get back into the world again. And so to end episode 600, I want to ask you a few questions, as I did at the end of episode 500, if you were listening back then. First of all, what were you doing in March 2009 when I started this show? Where were you living? What was your job? Were you writing? What did your writing situation look like? And what writing goals have you achieved in the almost 13 years since then? If you haven't achieved the goals you wanted, then why not? Were they the wrong goals or did you need to refocus? What lessons have you learned along the way? And what do you want to achieve by episode 700, which should be around January 2024, which is weird to even say out loud. (laughs) I'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode. Please leave me a comment or tweet me at The Creative Pen or email me, joanna at thecreativepen.com. I'd love to hear your thoughts. And thank you thank you for listening, for sharing the podcast with author friends and on social media and email and everywhere. Thanks for buying my books and products and those of my guests. Thanks for supporting me by being a patron or buying me virtual coffee or using my affiliate links or heading over to the corporate sponsor websites. Thanks for leaving reviews on the podcast apps. Thanks for tweeting me at The Creative Pen with your thoughts and pictures of where you listen and for leaving comments on the show notes or the YouTube channel or emailing me with how the podcast has helped you. Thank you. I wouldn't continue this show unless you, the author community, still found it useful. My recent survey and my wonderful patrons have told me that it continues to be useful, even in a very crowded author podcast space, certainly far more crowded than it was when I started. So, yes, I'm committing to episode 700, creatives. I don't know what the coming two years will bring, but I'll keep sharing the journey and I hope you'll come along for the ride. I'll be back 
this week with an in-between episode, episode 601. And in keeping with my focus on futurist topics, it will be a discussion between me and Jay Thorne on NFTs and blockchain and what we want to see from an NFT platform for books and what we think the opportunities are for authors in the next few years. We quickly cover the basics if you're new to NFTs and blockchain and then delve into a whole load of interesting things. So if you're still feeling worried, apprehensive or negative about blockchain and NFTs, I hope you'll consider listening and let our enthusiasm at least fill you with some possible uh, ideas uh, that should be happening by the time we get to episode 700. Time marches on. Back to the normal show next Monday when I'm talking to John Kramer about book marketing strategies that stand the test of time. The first marketing book I ever bought was John's 1001 Ways to Market Your Book. (laughs) So it was great to connect and discuss what's changed, what hasn't changed. And I'll also get back to the usual segment of publishing news and all of that. So happy writing and I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening today. I hope you found it helpful. You might also like the backlist episodes and show notes available at thecreativepen.com forward slash podcast. You can also get your free author blueprint at thecreativepen.com forward slash blueprint. If you'd like to connect, you can tweet me at The Creative Pen or find me on Facebook at The Creative Pen. See you next time.